0: This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, And their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linocom slash freelancershow.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our episode, uh, which we're calling Sunsetting Products and Services, we've got Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And, well, we all love to talk about products. And we all let's talk about services. We all love to talk about how wonderful it is to do productized consulting and so forth. But sometimes, sometimes you've got a dud. Or sometimes it's not working. Or sometimes it's not making money fast enough. So we're here to talk this week about when and how to pull the trigger. And um, how not to feel too bad about it. Because I still feel bad about it. So Jonathan will make me feel less bad.
2: <laughs> sure, yeah. This is, this is sort of the other side of the coin, isn't it? You know, where always teaching people how to, uh, create products and services and how to price them. And, you know, and we generally are advocates of creating productized services, you know, for freelancers, independent freelancers that have some skill that they, uh, typically rent out to their clients on an hourly basis. It's like, Hey, you know, you could really increase your profits by separating time from money and, do maybe a road mapping type of thing or uh, some sort of diagnostic with recommendations, some kind of report or marketing calendar or editorial review. Depending on whatever your skill set is, you could sort of package up something that you find yourself doing for all of your normal freelance clients and describe it, describe a scope, pick a price for it, put it on your website, kind of like a, a sort of public proposal to the whole wide world and all of your potential clients like, Hey, if you have needs like this, this particular product is for you. And it's really, it's, it's, I think it's probably the easiest way to productize services. I think it's one of the easiest ways to experiment with all of the topics we talk about here from positioning to pricing to marketing, outreach, inbound marketing, you know, everything. Um, it's not really a bet the business thing. It's just like a little sandbox for you to practice in. But, of course, with any new endeavor, sometimes they don't, uh, maybe the price is too low or nobody buys it or the price, is, you know, the price is too low for you to make a profit or the price is too high for anyone to buy it or it doesn't really go the way you thought or whatever. It, it, might, be, uh, it might be something you're sick of doing. Uh, or it might be something, you know, if it's your first one and you create some new products or services or something in between like productized services, maybe it doesn't, the old one, the original one doesn't really fit in your product ladder anymore. Maybe you want to do something more high value as a different scope, different target audience. There's a million reasons why a, a product or service might become less attractive to you uh, as your career proceeds, as your business grows. And we started talking about this pre-show because Ruben mentioned that he's, uh, I think you said you're thinking about killing off more than one. And I, in fact, recently uh, stopped offering uh, two product, one product and one productized service. So we figured we'd talk about that today and sort of the thought process behind doing that. Sound good?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, sounds great to me. Uh,
2: so what's on the chopping block wanna... for you? <laughs>
1: So, so let's see. So I already killed something off, I guess about a year and a half ago or so. And that was a daily tech video. And this was my idea of, well, if you build it, they will come. Ha 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 ha. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, I hated the movie anyway. But (laughs) but. But basically, um, it, the idea was, well, people want to watch lots of uh, you know tech videos, like, like people want to watch conference videos. And this would be sort of a, um, a, a curated list of those. And as the name implied, it would be a daily tech video. And basically, the idea was, I'll get enough people watching this, right? Enough people, enough eyeballs, I'll be able to get some money from advertising. And I think I did it for about a year. It wasn't always daily, but it was close. Um, wow. and I had such a small number of fans that I realized at a certain point, Oh my God, like I just cannot do this anymore. And it's just not never going to work. So I put up a message one day, I think it was actually two years ago. Now, now that I think about it, and this was my first time ever just like killing something off saying, I sort of promised the world, not that the world was waiting with bated breath to see this, but I promised the world I would keep doing this. And I put up a note saying, Nope, I'm going to work on other stuff now. Um. And the silence was pretty deafening. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think that was a case in which um, I thought about a product or service, however you wish to call it, that I sort of liked the idea of um, and that I sort of assumed there would be enough people who would be drawn to it and just never picked up steam. And if there's anything I regretted about it or regret about it now, it's that I waited too long to kill it off. That I was so sentimental about it. I was so convinced if I only give it a little more time, only a little more time, it'll take off, and then I'll have thousands of views a day, and then I'll make money from advertising. And th- this just turned out to be nonsense for reasons that are not entirely obvious to me, except that you know there's this video channel called YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. and I think for many people, they don't necessarily want a curated list. They're willing to go with um people who saw this, also saw that, and that's like good enough for them. Um so yeah, so that was like, but that was the first thing I killed off. And I, I wanted to think that it was um I also was sort of then less sentimental and more willing to kill things off. But we'll we'll go through the episode and I'll describe other things that I've been more reluctant to kill off and clinging to uh hope on. Uh and and it would seem that sentiment and a lack of ruthlessness is uh in my in my soul. Mm
2: it's hard when you make a public commitment, you know, even if, even if nobody knows it, it's, it feels like people know and it feels like giving up and it's hard to know, you know, wait, maybe success is just around the corner, you know, I mean, That's Seth that. Godin wrote a whole book about it called the dip, which I haven't read, but I know that is on exactly the subject, which is knowing when to fold them, knowing when to cash in your chips and walk away. Um, so, yeah, so this wasn't a product per se. This was a this was a project more, right? It was like a free thing, sort of like a kind of like a podcast, but videos.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although I, I definitely envisioned it as being like part of my business. I think it was Kurt Elster who said, like, I'm sure that other people said too. If if you're doing something and you're not making money, it's a hobby. Um, it's not a business. And um, so I really envisioned it being a small business, maybe not bringing in tons of money. But, you know, there are lots of programmers out there, lots of eyeballs. I can get enough of them. They'll click on some ads. I'll get some ad revenue. I mean, I figured if I could make at least, like, I don't know, a few hundred dollars a month from it, that would be pretty great. Mm-hmm. But the effort that went into it versus you know, the ROI was extremely negative. <laughs> right. So so I just said, like, enough. And, um, and every so often, very, very every so often, I sort of regret it but mostly not. I've moved on. I'm so busy with other things. I don't really think about it much. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a good time to bring up opportunity costs, which I think a lot of people have heard, but don't, don't have not internalized the meaning of what opportunity costs are. And, you know, if you, that's daily, doing a daily video, that sounds bonkers to me. I mean, I know I read a, a daily <laughs> email, but, and I'm sorry. Oh, yes.
1: Of, yes. you want to talk.
2: Right. But for me, like a daily video is like, um, really to me that is a dramatically higher bar you know i can write an email from you know I'd be putting my daughter to bed and like she falls asleep on me and i can do my daily email while she's snoozing on me it's not like a not like i have to be in a particular place at a particular time with particular lighting or anything like that it's just very easy to do from anywhere very 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 low friction for me to do that
1: Oh, I was not creating a new video every day. I was simply referencing a video that already existed.
2: Oh, wait a minute. So what do you mean?
1: I was, oh, so, so I was just finding interesting conference videos and pointing people to them. I was not recording oh, any video. Oh, okay. That sorry, makes a sorry. lot more sense. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, oh, it's roughly the same amount of work I'd like to think as your daily email. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, so this sounds right. So this is almost like... Uh, uh, one of those Peter Cooper weekly roundups, but you were doing it every day and it was just one video. That's right. Kind of thing. That's okay. Right. That makes a lot more sense. Um cool. Okay. That's that I was I was surprised you didn't kill it earlier, but now it makes more sense. <laughs> so what was so here's a here's a um perhaps well let me finish the idea of opportunity cost. So with opportunity cost if it was taking you more time than if it was taking you as much time as i thought it was let's pretend it was let's pretend it took you an hour every day and you did this with with a vague hope that it would be good for your business perhaps in a marketing sense or perhaps as a direct revenue driver through ads or sponsorships and and you were like you had this You know, the goal wasn't super clear, but you knew you had some kind of business goal. You wanted this to at least, air quotes, pay for itself, whatever that means. And you're spending, uh, you know, seven hours a week, an hour a day, putting together these videos, editing them, uploading them, deciding what to talk about, so on and so forth. That seven hours a week could be spent on something else. And that's the opportunity cost. So if you're doing the daily tech video, it means you're not doing something else. So anything you decide to do, by definition, is you also deciding to not do anything else with those hours. So at some point, and that kind of cost adds up. So if you if you spend a year doing that, you know, what's that, 350 hours? Uh, you could have spent 350 hours writing a book, for crying out loud. So, you know, and, and you weren't spending this much time. But if you were, then it's uh, it's a little easier to illustrate the opportunity cost. And it's with freelancers. Not to go too much of a sidebar here, but with freelancers, the the opportunity cost—you're paying opportunity costs all the time when you take on a bad client, because it means you don't have time to take on a good client that might come along. So, uh, and you're not doing marketing to attract good clients and all that. So, so freelancers are always dealing with opportunity costs, usually without knowing it. But okay, so you had you had this thing. uh, One, I would submit to you that at least from your description it sounds a little bit like you didn't have any clear goals clear clear goals and objectives it was more of a vague sense of this will be a good thing to do it might be kind of fun and maybe I'll make some money from it so it's hardly surprising that that didn't come to pass so for me with a and I don't always do this I think I usually have a sense of it but when I when I launch something I have a pretty I usually have a pretty specific sense of what I, how I expect it to perform and on what kind of a timeline. So it's easier for me to not really question it so much when it comes time to you know for the, for the spring cleaning and say, hey, look, this is just not doing anything for me. It's not achieving the goals that I set out to achieve. Um, and do you set
1: out concrete goals? Like when you launch a new product, so would you say, I expect this to make X and Y and Z?
2: I know, uh, not that concrete, but I know where I've got a rough idea of, of, Mm. of financial goals. So it depends. You can have, you can be doing stuff that's marketing like this podcast, for example. This is basically a marketing activity. It's fun and all of that, but I expect to get leads from it. And it, I do get lots of leads from it. People go to valuepricingbootcamp.com. I talk about it in lots of shows and I get people on my list and I can help them on my list too. So it's, it has a business value to me, but other than getting some signups on my list, that's about it. Just hanging out with you guys and talking. So I have relatively low expectations for something like this, um, and but but for something like that, I'm intending to sell. It's going to have a sales page. It, it's something that I intend to make direct revenue from. I know exactly where it fits into my product ladder. You know, my list of offerings, products, and services. I know exactly where it fits. The price is picked specifically to address a particular slice of the market. So, you know, I need to have something for, you know, for people who can only afford to spend, you know, maybe 200 bucks, then there's something for them. For people who, who have more money to spend and they want to have more accelerated progress, they can spend a thousand bucks for people who are really on fire. They've got a lot of money, but they've been stuck for a long time. They can spend 7,500 bucks. And, you know, at each level you get more of my attention and more value, but all of the things on that, in that product ladder are very specifically priced uh, in the context of all the other things. So yeah, I, I know, um, I know, and I look, uh, even if I don't have specific financial goals, I'll look retroactively and say, you know, okay, how did, how did my roadmapping sessions go Q4 of 2017? And I'd be like, eh, I only sold one. And when I did it, it was a pain because I didn't, um, uh, because I haven't been doing lots and lots of them so it's not getting easier and easier for me. So and that's an example of something I recently killed. So I had a I had a, a road mapping session where people could uh pay me $1295 to jump on a uh, usually about 2 hour phone call and I would just completely go through their current state of their business and the desired outcomes that they'd like, you know, their desired future state of the business where they see the business in 3 years or where they want to see it in 3 years, what their current challenges are, what their clients are like, how they're pricing their proposals. It it was very in-depth. And then I would go back to my closet and, you know, write up a report for them with specific action items, steps, you know, for how to, you know, here's a map from where you are to where you want to go. And here's, and even if we don't have specific steps here and there, then I'm at least giving you a compass so that you can tell when you're going in the right direction and not pulling yourself in every direction at once. And I ended up killing that because, for two reasons. One, it really wasn't selling that well, which is no surprise because I wasn't pushing it that much because uh, I didn't like doing it. You know, it turned out to be really hard. So my options were to uh, increase the price. Uh, I didn't feel like I would be increasing the value by increasing the price. I didn't feel like I'd be attracting a better type of client because that was my $1,200 product. I, I, mm-hmm. If I was going to increase the price to you know, probably more like 3500 then it's kind of like... Well, now we're getting into the lower tiers of of uh, my coaching stuff, my mentoring stuff. So, and that would be way better than a roadmap. So, why would anybody do the roadmap and not the coaching and you know that kind of thing? So, uh, and yes, I could raise the the price on the coaching and mentoring options too, and just sort of make more room between the bottom and the top. But I didn't really want to do that. I think i I think I've got the raise, right price point for the people I'm trying to attract with my top tier offerings. So I was like, it just didn't fit anymore. I was either going to have to change what it was, make it easier, you know, like remove the report because that's the really hard part and, or time consuming, I should say. And then it's like, well, now all of a sudden it's just a coaching call, which is 500 bucks. So, so why would somebody pay 1300 if they're not getting the report, didn't not getting these specific steps with the coaching call, you basically get one next step. So you tell me about your business, you tell me about your challenges, you tell me what you want to get out of the phone call. And we get you to that next step, get you unstuck, and you can do the next thing. So that's like 500. And my, you know, so like there's this spot in the middle where it just didn't fit anymore. And so I just took it off my site. I didn't make a big announcement or anything like that. I just removed it. Is that, that I mean, that makes sense, right?
1: That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, d- does this mean then you don't do road mapping anymore? Not that it sounds like you missed it and it not that it sounds like people were breaking down your doors to do it.
2: Correct. Like if somebody somehow found a link to an old sales page and they sent me 1300 bucks, I'd refund it and be like, no, I don't do that anymore. And and could you tell me where you find that link so I can take it down?
1: Wow. So it's not even like if someone finds it, you're just totally not interested in doing that. I guess uh, also writing the reports, because I was going to say two hours does not sound like a lot of time to go into someone's business in depth. But then I realized, oh, the report is the time consuming part. Even if a lot of it is boilerplate, and even if you can just sort of tweak a few things and make it a, a good for their business, the writing can take a while if, you, yeah. if you're doing it seriously.
2: Mm-hmm. I've done about, I've done, I don't know, maybe a dozen, more than a dozen of them. And it, I found that, that over time, there, it, I ended up with a lot of boilerplate. Like they were shorter reports at first, maybe 10, 15 pages, which is still, that's like a, that's like a term paper. Like that's a lot of work. Uh, but over over time, I started to see patterns. There were basically two kinds of people that were buying roadmaps. They were sort of like uh, people with a sort of a newer business and people with a more mature business. And still, there was a ton of overlap, but there were some slight differences between those two. So I ended up with a ton of boilerplate, and I was giving people like 150-page reports that were customized for them. But they were mostly boilerplate, but I still had to do it and and go through it. And it was almost like editing a book every time I, I went to deliver one. And then I was like, I'm just going to turn this into a book and, and, you know, and, and that was, that's actually another reason why I'm killing it because when the freelancers roadmap comes out, which is, you know, going to be my next book, then it would be really weird to have the roadmap and then they get it and it's like a slightly customized (laughs) version of the book. So, you know, anybody that wants a roadmap, it's kind of like, yeah, just go buy the book. So right. that was, I forgot about that. That was another reason why I was like, I put it on the chopping block. I was like, oh, I could just turn this into a book and it would be, I could sell it for, you know, a fraction of, you know, instead of 1300 hundred, it'd be like 50 bucks. And yes, it's not customized to a particular person, but you know, in combination with like a coaching call and freelancers roadmap, you know, if you read that book first and then jumped on a phone call with me, you'd save a ton of money, probably get more benefit out of it. Kind of like, you know, hey Stark, how do I apply this stuff on ch- in chapter two to my business? I'm I'm kind of like this. So it feels more efficient for everybody because that would be delightful for me. It'd be very easy. Uh and I sell a lot more of those calls anyway. So I know the price points right. You know, so it was in retrospect, it's pretty clear. And I'm not it's not like, you know, road mapping was not my baby. It wasn't my darling. It was just like a really easy thing to offer when I was first doing my first product I service.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, look, I, I think a lot of this with all these processors, I mean, every business needs to experiment and a lot of businesses, well, just a huge number of new businesses go out of business every year, right? They just don't survive. Mm-hmm. I think in many of what we're talking about here is sort of using our time skills to try new mini businesses like micro businesses, and some of them are going to fail, and some of them are going to succeed. We want as many of them to succeed as possible. Sometimes they're just not going to be a good fit. I mean, One of the best lessons in business I ever had was when I was working at HP just after graduating from college. And um, I was working for HP's medical products group, which has since been sold at least once and maybe twice. I think it's now part of Philips, Thing thing that I was working with. In any event, someone decided that we were going to get into a cardiology MRI. And I remember, like, I was, I don't know, 22 or something. They, first of all, hired away a bunch of people from other companies to work on this. And they bought two superconducting magnets and put them in. And they started, like, spending tons and tons of time and money on this cardiology MRI thing. Until one day, like, all those people were fired. And, and if you're in the market for a superconducting magnet of like the, the size of several pickup trucks, then uh, I know where you might still be able to find one in Andover, Massachusetts. <laughs> and I asked someone, like, how, what did they do? Like, like what, what was wrong? And they said, basically, it was going to make money, but not fast enough to be worth it for the business. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I never would have thought of that. Like, in my mind at that point, either it makes money or it doesn't. But sometimes just the, the ramp up is so great that, um, you know, that's just not worth it. That That is not worth your time and your effort.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, the calculus with a big company is very complicated. It can be very complicated and it, it has everything to do with the corporate strategy or lack thereof. So for independent freelancers, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, in a sense, it's simpler. It, it's less complicated. You don't have like, you don't have to, you know, have any, convince any committees or your board or anything. But at the same time, it's really hard to see the forest for the trees, and it's hard to it's hard to kill your darlings, you know. So if you're in love yes. with this concept and you spend all this time building a sale, writing a sales page, and doing research and beta testing, um, and and it's selling okay, but it's not ramping up the way you want it to. And if you look at like a even a, a rough annual projection of like, well, even if I ten x my current sales rate, it's still not that great. So you know, what, what dials can I move or should I just cut bait, forget about the sunk cost and move on to something, you know, something better. And usually that for me, this happens pretty naturally because in the course of running, just to use the road mapping example, in the course of doing that, I was like, whoops, I wrote a book. So now I've got like a new idea came out of it and oh, I should really increase, I'm selling these, you know, not as fast as I'd like to, but the experience that I gained from them makes me confident to be able to sell like mentoring, you know, at seven, yeah, you know, 7,500. And it, I'm like, Oh, I, I'm very confident that I can help the right kind of people. So as long as they go through the application process and they're the right kind of person, I'm super confident that I can, I can really help them a lot. So kind of So th- my point is, it's not a complete failure because you get bigger ideas, you think of more products, you get better at the thing that you're focusing on and you know it ends, up, it ends up being good. You could consider it almost R&D that you get paid for. So that's pretty cool.
1: Right? Right. So, so you knew this was going to come up, but I'm I'm going to talk about my uh, the project that I'm basically on the verge of killing off, which is good old Mandarin Weekly. Oh no. And I I think I think like so here's the thing. I've been doing it now for about three years and I have 21,000 subscribers (laughs) and I can basically like, and and every software, like, I don't know. I sent down a note in August Mm -hmm. saying, sorry, nothing is going out this week. I'm on vacation. And I was flooded with email from people around the world saying, oh, have a great vacation. Have a good time. Like, so clearly people are reading this and people are enjoying it. Mm-hmm. but just because they're reading it doesn't make it a commercial product mm-hmm. and my original so, so just like for, for for those for those of you subscribers who have not followed the uh, ongoing saga of mandarin weekly so you know i'm taking chinese lessons there are lots of people around the world the number is approximately 40 million people learning chinese um peter cooper has his newsletters for different uh programming languages and i said oh what if i steal that idea and do it in like for people learning chinese because there are tons of Blogs and videos, and wouldn't it be great to assemble them for people to look at? And then I can get advertisers to sponsor issues. Mm-hmm. So the the major flaw in this thinking, and Peter himself was very kind. He he sent me an email a few months ago in response to a query I sent him. Um and he said, look, <laughs> people are willing to spend lots of money to advertise to programmers. I don't know how much people are really, really willing to spend to advertise to, like, people learning Chinese, many of whom are students or in poorer countries. Uh, and that basically was a good analysis of the situation. So i I've tried a few other things to raise revenue. I said instead of sponsoring an issue, you can sponsor a link. It's like one of the roundup links then, so it's going to be cheaper than taking full sponsorship. So I hope maybe some people would be interested in, uh, you know, to handle that. And I've had, like, one taker for that. Mm. Um, I mean, one taker for four weeks, but really, we're not talking about huge amounts of money here. Uh, I, I then said, okay, well, maybe I can make it people make it customizable. So you can choose what topics you want and what levels you want. So if you're only interested in advanced grammar, you can click on those checkboxes, and you will have a customized newsletter of that sent to you. It really wasn't that much work, truth be told, using drip tags. Uh, I was actually I was actually pretty proud of how, how not hard it was to do that, but of course you know, technology doesn't sell products the products sell the products, <laughs> and and um and I tried all sorts of ways to and so I call that Mandarin Weekly Plus, Plus. and then finally as like a, a hail mary like two months ago maybe maybe a month ago two months ago, um I sent an email to everyone said okay I'm reducing the price of Mandarin Weekly Plus to fifteen dollars for life. You pay it once and you never have to pay it like until I stop publishing Mandarin Weekly. And by the way, I put that in there on purpose, Mm -hmm. (laughs) knowing this was the possibility. um, You will get to customize it and you'll get it several days earlier than everyone else. And people signed up, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And now every week I'm getting like two signups. And I really need like 10 signups a week to actually make it happen, to make it like pay for my. I don't know if my time, either, like pay for just the software that I'm using. I've got a ton of people on drip, which is costing me something per month. And I've got a feedly subscription and I've got a whole bunch of other things that I'm doing. And, and then there is my time. And so uh, a friend of mine uh, suggested about a month or two ago, set a date. And if it's not making money by then, um, kill it off. Yeah. So I set may, I set may 1st to be the date and the next day i got calls from two advertisers <laughs>
0: <laughs> for you the listeners of freelancer show loot crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com just enter the promo code bridge10 for 10% savings loot crate is one of my favorite things every month i get a box in the mail costs less than $20 and it comes with all kinds of goodies i have stuff from just looking at my shelf Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code Bridge Ten for ten percent savings.
2: I mean, I, I think I agree with uh, Peter Cooper's take on it that it's perhaps not the most attractive audience. You know, it's not it's not um, not obvious who was trying to get at that group of people. It's probably it's a very diffuse audience that's has like this one interesting common, but otherwise is probably very unusual and and a very global audience. And we've talked in the past offline about, you know, like, well, you know, let's brainstorm some stuff and like, what might they be interested in? You know, I know you've gone through that and it just hasn't panned out, which it's endlessly shocking to me. But there you have it.
1: I mean, there is a huge market for apps and classes and all sorts of other stuff for people learning Chinese. Like, it's a. That's a lot of companies doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they tend to be small, like mom and pop operations or one person operations or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to spend a few hundred dollars on advertising. Uh, and when they're not going to do that. But how
2: then do you know that? You, you've, you know that or you think
1: that? I've approached them. <laughs> okay, yeah. I've asked them. Okay. They've asked me. And like, on numerous occasions, people either said, well, we don't pay for advertising or we don't pay that much for advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, a very common uh, response that people had was, well, you can be our affiliate and then we'll pay you per click. Right. And so I tried that a little bit. Uh almost nothing. Yeah. Almost nothing. Hmm. So I even considered, well, maybe I should hire someone to like do a new layout. Maybe that would change things. But I don't yeah. think that's the problem. No, I agree. I, I, and uh I decided basically to you know stop throwing good money after bad. I'll do it for another month or so. I mean we're now mid-March, I'll do it for another six weeks or so. And if things have not changed totally dramatically, I'll email anyone who has signed up in the last, I don't know, four months, three months and say, listen, I'm killing it off. Like so anyone who was paid for in the last three, four months. So I'm killing it off. Um, if you want, I'll refund your money. Um, otherwise, I'd appreciate you know—I I appreciate your support and uh, uh, and your you know, giving money toward all the uh, expenses that I had in putting this together. And I'm guessing that half of them will want re- uh, refunds and half of them won't.
2: Right. What, um, if, what if you sold it to someone?
0: I thought
1: about that. And I wouldn't mind that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly wouldn't mind that. I just don't know who would want it
2: because there are other thousand people on the list. Somebody might be interested. Hey, does somebody want to take over Manner and weekly thousand bucks or whatever?
1: Yeah. I guess something's better than nothing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would almost consider that just to not let down the 20,000 people who appear to be pretty engaged.
1: I have like a 20% open rate between the two drip sends like mm-hmm. the original and the follow-up. Mm-hmm. So like, and we're still talking thousands of people for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, it does, it does seem really weird. You know, it always, it was always when I first heard about it, I was like, no way. It, Cause it seems so, uh, it's obviously so disconnected from your core business. <sighs> right and it's not making right. tons it's not making tons of money so that's uh, you know back to opt- opportunity costs and distraction so i agree with the the date idea i agree with what peter cooper said um i know you've tried a lot of anything that i could have come up with you've tried so yeah i mean you gave it a shot
1: and, and i'll even add to that I, I spoke with a friend of mine who's a publisher in the um chinese uh, education business last week in shanghai i'm currently in beijing and um he was not surprised. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I mean, he's trying to sell things to people who are learning Chinese and he was not terribly surprised that it's not like a super lucrative market for, um, for, for, for people like me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll try to sell it as sort of a last hurrah to, uh, you know, maybe someone might be interested in it. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, see. We'll see.
2: Does Alibaba anyway, have but, affiliate links? Yeah, I know we're going down the rabbit hole here, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, could-
1: that, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm open to more ideas, but I think i basically resigned to the fact that I tried it. I should have tried more things maybe a year or two ago um, just to like see if it would work. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, every week now, I mean, really every week for three years, Saturday night and Sunday, I spent, it's not that much time, it's like two hours, three hours max, putting together these newsletters. Well,
2: it's and 100, would be nice to have that time. 150 hours a year.
1: That's right. That's right. It would be nice to get the time back to work on other things. As you said, a book, other newsletters, recording courses, all that other stuff that I want to be doing, but I'm currently constrained. So mm-hmm. I just need to free up that time. And um, especially if it's not making money. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
2: All right. Well, end of an era. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, this is the, the struggle, right? I mean, you, it's tough to tell. And I, I've had, I've got a couple of other Uh, a couple of other things written down here that are different than anything we've talked about so far or or not, or maybe a little bit similar, but sort of, sort of different. So like uh, recently I do another podcast called Terrifying Robot Dog that I co-host with Kelly Shaver. And it's about, it's basically a future tech podcast about how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. And we started doing it, as a, under a different name, years and years ago, maybe five years ago, we've been recording more or less every week uh, for that whole time. And as my business went in a different direction, because when I was doing more development and coding and that sort of thing, it made some sense that that I could get business out of it. But as my, as my business shifted more toward the hourly billing is nuts and stuff, it made less and less business sense. And leads that I would get from that podcast didn't, It was they were just for things that I don't even want to do anymore. So uh, after a while, And Kelly wanted to go on and do a different, a more fictional podcast. So we were like, "Eh, let's let's just sunset Terrifying Robot Dog. And we, in fact, announced that. And after a couple of weeks, we just like missed talking to each other. And and we started it back (laughs) up, but with a new uh, sort of a new motivation. We were like, oh, you know what? This isn't a business thing anymore. This is just us having fun, having our weekly phone call. And we happened to publish it on the web. And, and it changed the kind of, it just reframed it for both of us. think certainly for me, I don't want to put words in Kelly's mouth, but it totally reframed it for me. And I was like, now it's just fun. It's just a fun part of my week that I look forward to. And it's, it's no intended outcome other than it maybe not even, there's no intended outcome. It's just like to hang out. So that was, that was, I thought that might be an interesting story to, to share because, um, it's it's so weird from the outside you would never know that sort of thing and and that's another possibility if you just reframe what the point of the thing is kind of pivot the motivation um then you know it 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 takes some of the for me in this case it took the pressure off of you know like trying to grow the audience and now i just don't care so so it's a lot less emotional effort to do it so less friction easier more fun all of those things so it doesn't feel like it feels even less like work than it it might have
1: were you previously preparing for the episodes or was it also just like a conversation sort
2: of thing uh usually what would happen about 75 percent of the time there'd be an obvious topic to talk about there'd be something in the news that was just jaw-dropping then part of the reason we killed it was that the news was getting so bizarre And so far out of it was weird. Things got boring and crazy at the same time Um, because for a long time, we could just, we could do an entire episode on gadgets. And when AI started to really take root, you can't really, the gadgets don't matter anymore. It's more like what they can do. And every episode turned into like self-driving cars and AI and machine learning. And and it just wasn't that, it wasn't that interesting. And uh, then on the other end of the spectrum, there was, in other words, as the technology kind of started to disappear and seep into everything, the idea of having a gadget episode was just weird. And we're like, wow, check out that shift. You know, for a while mm. we were talking about 3D printers and, you know, uh, smart coffee makers and all this. And all of a sudden, like one CES and it was like, all right, uh, we could talk about everything, which is kind of like talking about nothing. And then on the other end of the spectrum, stuff that's happening with like, in biotech with like CRISPR and and gene modification is just so freaking weird and outside of our uh, area of expertise because we're very much like software developers and that stuff is just, I mean, that's, that's what's happening in tech, but we just feel kind of clueless to talk about it in a intelligent way. So we're like, what do we talk about? We can't have another SpaceX episode (laughs) or whatever (laughs) or Tesla (laughs) or Uber or whatever. So uh, so we took a break and now, now it's more like, now we're just sort of like, Hey, what's going on? You know? And we end up, since we're both nerds, we end up talking about nerdy stuff, which is the kind of audience we have anyway. So yeah, I mean, that was sort of a, you know, it's fine. Right. It doesn't, there's no expectations now. So it's zero pressure.
1: Right. Right. And having a, having a nice conversation with a colleague uh, once a week is uh is a good thing. Mm-hmm. As as I well know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: So i kind of uh, we're I don't, I don't we're not running too long on time. I I still have some more things on my list. Did you have other stuff that you've killed or you're thinking about killing?
1: I just I just have one one other thing. Um, so I'll I'll do one thing. Maybe you can do one thing or these are short things, and we'll yep. will finish up. Um, so I actually was inspired by your group coaching. So so I, I have a among the many things I do. I have a newsletter for trainers called Trainer Weekly, and I've been doing it in part. Because I want to sort of write about a bunch of training-related things, in part because I'm trying to put together stuff for a book, um, in part because I thought maybe this would be a good way to get into coaching, and so I offered coaching, and uh, some people took me up on it, and they were super satisfied and happy, and most people did not. So I said, well, you know, you know, Jonathan has this great group coaching thing. Maybe I'll try that, and that worked fantastically for one month, mm-hmm. and then everyone was like, okay, this was enough, bye. Right. So. Um, so I basically just killed off group coaching. I said, okay, it's, it's like – because what's going to happen is an individual will join. And then they say, well, where's the group? <laughs> and then it's just sort of ridiculous. Um, so I've got to keep the individual coaching going. I've got to be better about marketing it. I'll, I'll have to put it back in the footer for Trainer Weekly. But, um, but yeah, the group coaching I think only works when you have a large enough potential audience. Like I don't know how many subscribers you have, but I'm guessing it's in the thousands Yeah. And so all you need is a handful of people each month to say, yeah, I'll go for that. And poof, you've got your group or even a waiting list to get to the group. I'm going to assume.
2: Yep, Um, There's no cap on it. So there's like something like, I think I've had 45 people, something like that. 45 people sign up a couple, a couple turned out,
1: but not that many. Wow. That's really nice. Yeah. So um, it's much more, so yeah. I mean, it, it, the thing is, part of it is, like, Trainer Weekly, I think I have a few hundred subscribers at most. And so it's just not, like, it's not enough of a critical mass to be able to advertise that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe in the future, I can always restart it. And so it was disappointing because I thought, I, I really enjoy the conversations with those people. And I feel like I get a lot out of it. I, I'm forced to articulate my thoughts a lot better. At that, so I think I get better at doing my own training and ready about training. But um, I'm not going to start beating people over the head, and it has to be worth it for me in terms of the you know the money and time as well. Mm-hmm. So so I'll let people do coaching you know if they want, um, and uh, I'll keep doing the free newsletter as I said, which I can turn to a book at some point soon. But the group stuff, I think we'll, we'll just either have to wait or just never come back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just to give you some feedback, I, I get lots of people who mention to me that they've talked about talked to you because a lot of my students are you know they're freelancers slash consultant coders uh, looking to go in a direction where they're not trading time for money. And one of the very common options is training. And I know they all know about you and they all go to you because you know, you've done, we've done episodes on this show where it's like, wow, I mean, we know you do that, but you really know your stuff. So it seems obvious. So quick, quick piece of feedback. It seems obvious to me that the two things that would be obvious products for you would be, you know, how to launch a software training business book and course. And it's, it's less, it's less obvious to me what an ongoing Q and a group coaching office hours thing would look like unless you got into the kinds of challenges that people are going to have over and over and over. But there's just, I mean, if I was going to launch a training business, I would be like, take my money here. Like, tell me how to do it. Tell me how to do other things. I've done it before, but you're way more successful at it. And yeah, I mean, that seems like an obvious thing. The group coaching thing Is more of a is useful, you know, for people who have ongoing general business issues. So it feels, and and I'm sure those exist in training. It's just I'm not sure what
1: they do. That's the thing. I mean, that's good. That's good feedback and very flattering. Um, But um, no, people definitely have have ongoing business issues. Whether it's you know how do I deal with clients and how do I you know someone someone's approached me and I don't quite teach this. It's basically the same as general business, just sort of. In, in a very specific sort of area with some specific needs. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, cool. Well, okay, so I've got really two, I think two quick ones left on my list. So one's really easy to talk about. Um, it is, so I do a daily mailing list and it's a live broadcast. It's not a drip campaign, meaning that if you join my list today, you get today's email. You don't get, you know, uh, some email that I wrote two years ago, and then you sort of slowly work your way through the sequence. It's like a live thing. What that means is, though, that you missed like 500 messages. (laughs) So I was like, uh, and a lot of people, and this was, it seemed common where people would be like, hey, um, you sent an email. I remember a while back it was about this. I can't find it in my inbox. Have you got a link to it somewhere? And I didn't because I don't... Uh, I didn't like the idea of having those articles on my website for reasons we could go into, but whatever. I didn't. I'm not a blogger. I don't want to have a blog. I don't really like having those on my website. I don't want people just sitting there for 16 hours reading through two years worth of of email. <laughs> so it's just not the. It's not the right. It's not interactive. They don't get any help from me. They can't reply. There's no comment. There's just nothing. I don't like it. So. But I didn't like the idea of all that information being lost to, you know, the other 7 billion people in the world who might be interested in it. So I said, you know what, Uh, every quarter I'll take all the messages and uh, basically compile them into PDF, go back through and edit out, you know, fix the typos and Mm -hmm. fix grammar and delete the ones that are, you know, maybe announcing a webinar or something like that, the sort of informational ones. And just kind of collate them down into a nicely edited, formatted bundle and sell those for cheap. You know, I think I was selling them for 19 bucks. And I think I sold like one, you know, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe two. And it was weird because people would ask me for old emails and, you know, oh, is that online somewhere? And I'd be like, no, but I could dig through and forward one to them. But so it seemed to me like there was market for it. I didn't really ask anyone. But it seemed like there was a little bit of demand just organically. So I figured it would be you know, a no-brainer. Like, is it, yeah, I'll just do it and it'll be done and there'll be something that people would buy. Because I was looking for something at the very, very low end of the market to convert somebody from the, the least risky way for someone to convert from a list member, which is free, to a, a customer. And, you know, I was like, what could I sell that's really low, like $9 to $19, somewhere around there. So I did this and it just totally did not work whatsoever. So, you know, big deal. I spent the time doing it. Uh, It took some time. I I probably put 10 hours into it, you know, doing the editing of the, you know, six quarters worth of emails. And then after that, I was like, you know, the next quarter rolled around. It was time to do it. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I I don't want to spend an hour and a half doing this when I know none of them are going to sell. And uh, so, fine. So it was an experiment. Uh, It was interesting. Uh, It's probably it's probably too low, you know, from a pricing standpoint. Just as an aside, from a pricing standpoint, that's probably too low because that's going to attract people. Even if it was, even if people were buying it, they would clearly be at the very, very low end of the spectrum. And and I already have like a forty nine dollar entry, so having one underneath that is probably too low. That's an
1: interesting point. Yeah. See, that's the thing. You already you already have something that was for people who are like you know looking to come up with new strategy and tactics for their business. So the Daily emails, like, well, like, I can just buy the book.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean the thing about hourly billing is nuts is it's not a how-to. It's it's a it's meant to change the way you see your business. Change it's it's meant to open your eyes to the insanity of trading time for money. So if you're starting to get your, it takes people, it takes a while for people for it to sink in with people. So that book is about gaining the confidence. Uh, Maybe you, maybe you already drank the Kool-Aid and you need to buy it for your business partner or something. Uh, But it doesn't really tell you how to do anything. It's more like, look, look, look behind the curtain. It's bonkers. (laughs) And then, you know, the next book, Freelance's Roadmap is the how-to. So I think it, it just didn't it seemed like I was looking around. I was like, ah, here's some sawdust. I could package this together into a product. I think it'll serve a need. Uh, people have no access to the old emails. So it seems, it seems reasonable and, uh, put it up there and just nobody wanted to open up their wallet. So no big deal. So that uh, on the low end, that's probably the, the smallest, easiest one that I've dropped off. It was just extremely easy for me to make that decision. I didn't particularly like doing it. So, um, Easy peasy, low brainer. Yeah, yeah. And then a much bigger one. I don't think we've. I don't think we've talked about killing off a service yet. But this. This was me killing off a service. I think at the at the end of, I think it was the end of twenty fifteen, beginning of twenty sixteen. I said I'm, I vowed to no longer code for money. I am no longer going to take on clients where I am expected to write a single semicolon. So that's a huge. That was a huge thing for me. Because I had been a developer really for, uh, you know, nine or ten years before that. Like my core identity was like web developer. So saying that I was no longer going to code for money and just do strategy advisory types of things was uh, a giant. That, That was the kind of thing that like I sat with, thought about, you know, built up a kind of <clears throat> pipeline, no, pipeline is the wrong word, but like built up my marketing and confidence that I could get enough business selling strictly advisory retainers and strategy engagements and innovation workshops and, and things like that, that were not me pounding out code and sublime text. So that, that was a very big deal. And I thought about it probably for the whole year leading up to it. <clears throat>
1: Right, because it's definitely <laughs> right. It because it, it's not just I'm killing off a service. It's I'm changing. And it's not just changing positioning. It's changing the identity of who you are mm-hmm. in some ways, mm-hmm. and that's that's very hard. Mm-hmm. Look, for how many years did I also tell people I'm a developer? I'm a developer, and I, I still remember people asking me when I would want to do training. They would say, "Well, do you develop actively?" Because really, that's super important for our clients to know that they're not just getting someone who lectures on the subject mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, several years have passed now, and I don't do active development. I mean, very rarely I will, uh, but it's really, really unusual. And I'm no longer embarrassed to say, yeah, I mostly do training. And when people say to me, but wait a second, how do you get practice doing programming? I say, I work on my own stuff, and I use my time preparing for class. Like I spend lots of time researching subjects, and in more depth than I could have as a day-to-day developer, because then I was just worried about getting a product out, and now I can actually try to understand things and deal with these details and get them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean But
1: it's it's hard. It's hard.
2: Right. Like Michael Phelps swimming coach can't beat him in a race. You know, it's Yes.
1: Like, oh, that's a fantastic uh uh analogy there. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's like, you know, I'm a trainer, I know how to teach this stuff. I don't need to be able to like it's just two different skills. And you know, it, but you know, it's, I've heard that before and my answer is the same as yours when, you know, it's like, well, how do you know your, your advice is up to date? And it's like side projects. Um, I also, I'm embedded in other companies that are doing these things. So I have a behind the curtain view into, you know, how big companies are handling this stuff. So I don't need to be like down in the code every single day. Um, and there are some things I'll do proof of concepts like, but I don't, it's not shipping code. Like I do not write shipping code. So, um, yeah, so there's still, uh, but you know, I'm moving away from that, even that. So, um, but it was a, it was a, that was a major shift. It was something that uh, I said publicly to help me stick to it and not backslide. Cause like you just, you just hedged a little bit a second ago. You said i most, I mostly do training is what you said and you're hedging. You know, it's like, why not just say I'm a trainer? Like, I do software training.
1: So I basically, did, the, the funny thing is, like, I, I think that the development that I do is typically to just sort of, like, I have an employee to support him. So, like, we had something two months ago, three months ago, where it was a Rails project, and um, but it needs some server configuration. And I just do that better than he does. I see. So I went in, and I messed with that, and I fixed that up. But, like, in a given you know, five-day week, no, let's even check it out. You know, and given 20 workday months, if I'm doing active code development for more than an hour or two for a client, it's a really unusual month. Mm-hmm. If I am doing an hour for a client, it's a really unusual month nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and more than that is like off the scale. Yeah. Off the charts.
2: Yeah, I have like I have like one um, legacy client from years and years ago that I still do some some what would be considered development. Uh, but it's still it's a very small amount, and and you know, and that'll be the last one. You know, when that when eventually uh, we part ways someday, hopefully never because they're awesome. But uh, at at some point that'll be it. Like when there's when there's no more of that. That's I'm never going back. So you know, it's. Uh, well, I must
1: I must admit, by the way, that one of the reasons like that I got into training was that I found that I priced myself out of the development market. <laughs> Basically, um, you know, just the way consulting works at the very least in Israel is people are always looking for very low prices. And the moment I started coming in with high prices, and whether it be hourly, whether it be for project or value or whatever, it didn't matter. They said I am not paying. I mean, I remember very well going to this very, like, it was very tall tower in Tel Aviv, on the top floor of a penthouse with a spectacular view, <laughs> and this company is selling systems for high-speed trading on Wall Street. (laughs) And they show off their coffee machine to me that is like the, basically, you know, if God had a coffee machine, it would not be as good as this one. (laughs) And and basically, then they say to me, we really need help with our database so that our system will be stable. I said, okay, I charge this per day. Oh my God, I could hire a developer for three days for what you, you for, for a month for what you want for two or three days. I was like, okay, bye-bye. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I would say, yeah, so,
2: and it's going to take them a month, and it's only going to take me three days. Go ahead and hire them.
1: Right. So so I I, I, I was sort of in some ways pushed out of the market, um, right. which, I believe me, I'm very happy about. And, and so I've just sort of aged, priced out of the development market in addition to not being interested in doing it so much anymore.
2: That's a good point, actually, because the I don't really know if our listeners – fall into a particular age group. I really have no idea, but that is part of the, that is, can be part of the reason to kill something off because you're just aging to a point where uh, once you move on and you get all these whippersnappers coming out of college who have low responsibilities compared to you, they have a much higher risk tolerance. They haven't got a family in a house and all the stuff and they are willing to work crazy hours cuz it's still kind of fun. It's really hard if you if you are in competition with those people, you know, in other words, if your clients see, you know, me as almost 50-year-old coder, you know, like whatever, mobile web developer and some, you know, some 25-year-old who's getting out of college and has been a, been freelancing for 2 years, If they see no significant difference between me and that person, I assure you that the 25-year-old is going to undercut my price. And if the client can't really tell the difference between us except for the price, then I am going to lose every time. So uh, point being, the market, if you stay the same, if you offer the same products and services for years and years and years, the market's going to change underneath you. And you're going to, you kind of need to, Uh, change it up like you need to start offering different things everybody knows this from like things like javascript frameworks changing and and flash getting killed by the ipad and you know so on and so forth like you're forced to change a lot of times as a developer anyway because of you know the tools and the landscape and that sort of thing but but even if none of that changed you know every day they make more people (laughs) and those people are going to be willing to charge less than you. And if you are in competition, direct competition with them and the only differentiator is the price you're going to lose every time. So you need to be constantly evolving, not constantly, it's not like that much work, but you need to be regularly evolving the products and services that you offer as you get more mature, let's just say and wiser and smarter and more nuanced and sell those things or at least project those things in your marketing as, uh, you know, to differentiate yourself from, from people who do not have those skills or capabilities. And you can charge appropriately because then it's like, wow, there's no competition. That's why we're all, you know, Philip and, and we're all talking about specializing and niching down and, pigeonholing yourself and all that stuff. Because as you get, um, as the list of available options gets smaller and smaller and smaller, you can command higher and higher rates. So like we were just talking, you know, that the company with God's coffee machine, they were comparing you apples to apples with some other developer. And my, my, uh, my rebuttal there would, would be what I said, which is like, yeah, but I'm better. So if you want them, then go ahead, get them. You should. If you think there's no difference between me and some joker that's going to, you know, charge you a third, then you should hire them. I would do the same thing. But I'm here to tell you that there is a difference. And, you know, and, and it's perhaps a failure of your marketing that they didn't know already that there was a difference. Or perhaps they were just, you know, trying to negotiate, trying to undercut your confidence and that sort of thing.
1: I It is pretty cheap. But I think it's very—I mean, it's a very common thing in Israel. They're not cheap. They have God's people... coffee
2: maker. They're obviously not cheap. <laughs> they don't value developers. That's the problem.
1: Right. right, 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 exactly. It's 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 very very common in Israel for consulting rates to be extremely low compared with the US and Europe.
2: So don't um, right. So don't call yourself a consultant. It's like it's like try and sell a book for fifty bucks, like I do. It is hard. People don't expect to pay fifty bucks for a book. And, of course, right? Because books are books are nine dollars. Books are nineteen dollars. Books are three dollars. The books aren't fifty dollars. You know, maybe a a college textbook or something is a hundred bucks, but it's very unusual for a book to be fifty dollars. So I I did that very much on purpose. So if you if you are being compared apples to apples, if you know, you're a developer, you're a developer, you're a developer, developers cost this much. All developers are interchangeable. You need to come up and the reason I brought a book is because there's like a societal expectation that a book costs this much. And if there's a societal, if you're saying that in Israel, there's essentially a market rate for a developer and that they're interchangeable like cogs in a machine, then you need to do something in your marketing to make them see you as something else, something different than this thing that they know how much it costs, which is why classes, online classes are kind of the wild west right now. And you can, you can find prices anywhere from 49 bucks to you know three thousand dollars for an online course because there's not this societal norm of how much a course costs yet so the prices are all over the place and people don't have an expectation of exactly how much it should cost so there's a lot of differentiation in that market and that's why a lot i
1: actually got email from someone i was uh advertising i forget which of my courses um and i got email from someone saying how dare you charge $200 for this course when I can get the same course on Udemy for $10? <laughs> did, did they literally say, how dare you? I, th- I think they actually did write, <laughs> how dare you. Right? It, it might have been something along the lines of, like, you know, where do you get the gall? But it was definitely like that more or less. Yeah. And I think my response was something along the lines of, it's a free market, don't buy my product if you really think it's the same thing and cost 20 times as much. Yeah. But I think it's not the same thing. Enjoy. Bye bye.
2: Yeah. buy, Don't buy. Don't care. Like, and, and, or as Seth Godin would put it, um, it's fine. It's just not for you. It's for someone else. It's not mm-hmm. for you. Yeah.
1: All right. I think uh, we covered our, uh, our, uh, I don't know, our death toll. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly.
2: Yeah. We, we actually made it through, I think we made it through everything. I'm surprised. Excellent.
1: So. Got any picks?
0: Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I
2: do. Here's a random one for you. No, <laughs> I, this is such a weird pick. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with, no, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go with The Dip by Seth Godin. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. Check out The Dip. It it's It's perfectly on topic for this episode. I confess that I have not read it yet. But uh, I know it is exactly this because I I work with a lot of people who are big Seth fans and they all reference this book. So um, I'm confident that if you are having this problem and you read the the reviews of the book and the description of the book, then you'll find that uh, it is up your alley. I think it's a very short book and uh, I imagine since it's a book, it's probably pretty cheap. (laughs) So so I would recommend that Uh, as always. I'm going to recommend people go check out valuepricingbootcamp.com if, uh, if any of that last bit about pricing is interesting to you and how to differentiate yourself from competitors and you know um, break that apples-to-apples apples comparison that hourly billing saddles you with. then uh, You might want to think about uh, value-based pricing or perhaps creating productized services, uh, but some way of disconnecting time from money because that will differentiate you from your competitors. And that's it for me.
1: Excellent. So, um, my pick is a TV show, um, called counterpart, uh, which is airing at least in the U S now on stars. Um, and it's this combination sci-fi spy drama, sort of like cold war spy drive, spy spy drama set in the modern time. And, um, you, should, you should really, I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, uh, like in a very, very short, not small nutshell, basically, it's one of these parallel universe sort of things where in 1987, I think they say, the world sort of duplicated itself and now there's their side and our side. And it's about the spy agency on both sides that sort of deal with the interchange between the two sides and the two worlds and the Cold War that's going on between them. And uh, J.K. Simmons, who's a pretty famous actor, he plays... Um, the same guy on both sides. Mm. And one is sort of a nebuchadnezzar person who works at this spy agency, and the other is the opposite of the nebuchadnezzar <laughs> spy guy. The evil twin. Uh, st- right, exactly, and they can't stand each other. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and a lot of uh, sort of good spy intrigue and very light on the science fiction aside from this two-world thing. So mm. I definitely, uh, definitely encourage uh, people to take a look at it
2: nice it reminds me of the fringe which was a fun show when it while it lasted also a side Oh, never
1: saw it. yeah very, oh,
2: okay. very similar there's one piece of the show that's very similar to that it was a really fun show excellent
1: all right Well, I think we got through a lot of good stuff today jonathan thanks a lot and thank you all for listening out there on podcast land and we'll be back next week on the freelancer show
0: bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn